Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, verse number 31. Exodus chapter 14, verse number 31 is where we're going to start. Primarily this morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 32 and 33. So if you want to flip over there as well. But Exodus chapter 14, verse number 31 is where we're going to start. Um, the Lord's kind of laid on my heart for the next few weeks with everything that's gone on in my life here recently. Uh, with the, the struggle with the, the viral meningitis and still still dealing with some of those symptoms, but the Lord has been gracious, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but he, he reminded me of some things that he taught me a few years ago, and I think it's good to kind of be reminded some, sometimes of some things that we already know. Um, and that's kind of what I want to do for the next few weeks. I want to preach some messages that I've preached a couple years ago and I kind of retooled them a little bit uh, for our congregation this morning and next week. But the question I want to ask this morning is this. Is God real to you? Is God real to you? You know, I love the song, Where is Jesus? And, and most of us would say, well, he's, he's right, where, right where he always is. He's in my heart, and, you know, the Holy Spirit is there, and, and I have a close relationship with him. But the relationship is only as strong as we allow it to be. And a lot of times I've seen in my own life that I've left Jesus somewhere, and I've continued with my life without him. And I would dare say that there's many in this congregation this morning that have left Jesus somewhere because they've allowed their circumstances to get the best of them. And really, I think every song that has been sung this morning has just been perfect. Uh, the song that the ladies did was an amazing job. Is anything too hard for God? And we know the answer to that. I preached a series on that a few, a few years ago as well. We know the answer to that. The answer is no. But how many times do we say, yep, that is too hard for God? That situation is too hard for God. It is too difficult for God to restore something that I feel is broken, to mend something that I feel cannot be fixed. So what we do is we put God out of the equation and we put ourselves in there. And what we're saying is that, yes, this situation is too hard for God. But friends, I'm here to tell you that nothing is too hard for God. And I'm here to tell you today as we'll look at this message this morning in the life of the Israelites that God is real. That he should be real in and through your lives. But that question I really want us to think about throughout this message this morning. Is God real to you? Can you feel his presence in your life more than just when you come to church on Sunday morning? Do you have his power, his protection, his guidance, his leading in your life? Are you allowing him to grow you how he wants to grow you? Or are you stunting your own growth because he's not real to you? I could point fingers, and I'm not going to do that this morning, but the fingers should be pointed at me first and foremost because I know there's been times in my life where, to be honest, God is not real to me in the sense that I've left him somewhere. I've carried on with my life the way that I wanted to carry on with it, and forgot about God. But remember, as I've said many times before, this life is not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. 
So let's stand if you would. Just want to read this one verse this morning. Exodus chapter 14, verse number 31. Then we'll flip over to chapter 32 and 33 this morning. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Let's all read that verse together. If you don't have your Bible, it's up there on the screen for you if you want to look at that. Let's read this verse together. Ready, begin. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Have you ever seen God move mightily in your life? You ever seen God do something that only God could do? All of us should say yes, hopefully, if we're in church this morning. I'm sure many of us have stories and testimonies of the fact that we've seen and witnessed God do amazing things. So here's the question, too. If we've seen and witnessed God do amazing things, shouldn't that be enough? It should be. But most often it's not. Because the next time something happens, well, where's God? Where's God? Where's Jesus? It's like we forget. And this is a great reminder. The Israelites saw an amazing thing. What previously took place in this chapter is that God, through Moses, had parted the Red Sea. Remember that story? That's an amazing story. Only God could do that. And he saw, the the Israelites saw all the Egyptians fall at the hand of God when, when when he let the waters come back down and all their enemies were destroyed. Only God could do that. That should be enough to carry them through the rest of their life, seeing the power of God. And we've seen the power of God in our lives. We've seen the power of God in this church. That should be enough to carry us through, shouldn't it? Yes, it should. But for many of us, it's not. I want you to think about that verse. And Israel saw that great work. And when they saw it, what did they do? They, they feared the Lord. They believed. And they believed his servant, the one that was in charge over everything. Because they weren't worried about themselves. They were worried more about their God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. God, I pray that you'd be with me for the next few minutes. Give me the strength that I need, Lord, to preach this message. And Lord, you know the passion, the desire of my heart. You know what I want to see for this church, that we have a a church that believes in you, that fears you, that loves you, that worships you, that wants to see your presence in their lives more than just Sunday morning, more than just for an hour every moment of every day. And God, I pray that you'd help me again to preach and proclaim your word, the truth that you want us to see. We love you in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, the question this morning to ask, and again, this is more introspective this morning, but what's your prayer and desire for your Christian life? That's something only you can answer, and I'm not going to go around with the mic and uh, ask, ask you to tell me what the prayer of your Christian life is, but What is the prayer and desire of your Christian life? You know, for most people, I think we'd answer with a kind of a stock answer is, well, my desire for my Christian life is to, you know, to know God, to to walk with God. And and that's good. That's that's important. And we should have that desire. We should have the desire to grow in the grace of God and the knowledge of our Savior. We should have a desire to do whatever God tells us to do. And many people, I think, have a desire, but... Desire alone is not enough. We have to act upon that desire and we have to do something about it. You know, I've had a lot of desires in my life to do certain things, but I didn't act upon it. So here I still am with certain things that are left undone. But you know what happens when a church whose members have a true desire to know God? You know what happens in the life of a church? 
His presence is felt. You know, I've talked a little bit about our struggles that we've had in this church in the past three and a half years, and many of you know the struggles. Many of you do not, do not know the struggles, and that's okay. It's not about that this morning. But there are times when early in my ministry where I preached here from this pulpit, and I could feel God's presence in my own life, but in a sense, his presence wasn't in the church because there was people that were quenching that presence that had their own agenda in mind. But it's an amazing thing when God's presence is here, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the quartet, staff ensemble, quartet, whatever, they, they've been singing the past couple of weeks. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And it's something we sing, but it's not always true in every church. Because I've been in churches, and you've probably been in churches too, where it's like, man, there's, the presence of the Lord is not here. I'm sure Brother Don could attest to that, and Brother Clyde could attest to that, and others as well that have been in the ministry. As we gather each week, we gather to worship God, or we should gather to worship God. I want to talk about worship a little bit this morning, but when I thought about worship, worship really is this. Worship is enjoying the presence of God. Worship is enjoying the presence of God. Look, most people have a desire to live a productive life. Most people have a desire to not settle for things. How many have ever settled for something in your life, right? Don't look at your husband or wife. Please don't, don't do that. Please don't look down. Hopefully no one answers that. But most of us don't like to settle, right? We don't want to settle. We, we want the best in our lives, and that's, that's great. We should. Now, there's been times where we've had to settle. I, I was thinking about this last night, and again, just kind of going over the message. You know, there's been times where I've gone to restaurants, and you know, I asked for something on the menu. Oh, we don't have that. Ah, okay. What about this? We don't have that either. We don't have that. What do you have? I'll take that, I guess. I had to settle for something. I didn't want, but I had to settle. That was kind of a rare occurrence. But typically in life, we don't go and pick out a car. And you know what? I've got the money for a nice car, but I'm just going to settle for the worst car on the lot. Can I have the worst car on the lot? Because I want to settle for that. No, we don't do that. We want the best that we can afford. Sometimes we do the best that we can't even afford and get us in other trouble as well. But anyway, settling is not a good thing in our lives and something we don't do. But why do we think it's okay to settle in our relationship with God? Why do we think it's okay to settle with a, having a knowledge of God and a growth for God and a desire to live for God, a desire to worship God? Why are we good with only knowing about Jesus instead of actually knowing him? Well, pastor, I do know him. Well, if you know him, then do you have a desire to live for him? And do you actually act upon that desire in every area of your life? Because even in our classes, I've heard it said, we've asked certain questions and people give the answers that you're supposed to give, but you look at their lives and I've looked at my life and I'm not living the answer that I, that I give. Again, we know what to say. We're not gonna settle in a job. Oh, this job gives me $40,000 less a year. I want that job. No. This house is unrepairable, has holes everywhere, you know, rodents living in it. Uh, you know, every time it rains, it's a monsoon. I want that house. I know you can fix it up, but if you had the money for something better, you'd probably get something better. We don't settle in life. Why do we settle with God? So is God real to you? 
Worshiping God is about knowing him, enjoying his presence. And get this truth down. You need nothing more and you should settle for nothing less. You need nothing more and you should settle for nothing less. We read the verse in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. And Israel saw that great work that the Lord did upon the Egyptians. What did God do again? He, he turned the waters over them and, and he destroyed the enemy at their hand and at their sight. Only God could do that. The people believed. They feared the Lord. They, they followed his servant. Man, God's hand is upon his servant Moses. We're going to follow this man. We're going to do what God tells us to do. They're excited about this. Flip over a few chapters to chapter 32. Moses is on the mountain. He's meeting with God, getting the Ten Commandments, the tables of stone. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, he had been with God, and they were impatient. I know none of us in here are impatient today, but these people were impatient. They wanted Moses to come back down and give them what God had given them. They need, they need to worship God. So the people kind of were wondering what was going on. There was a delay, and they gathered themselves together into Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, <laughs> which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. Maybe he died. We don't know where he is. So we, we need someone to, to follow after. We need someone to worship. Instead of worshiping the true and living God, they, hey, we need something else. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings. Now, Aaron should have known better. <laughs> this priest of God should have known better, but instead he gives in to the people. And I've, this isn't the message this morning, but I've seen so many pastors give in to people's demands. Instead of actually following God and doing what God wants them to do, they give in to the demands of the people that are asking for anything and everything instead of the presence of God. So Aaron gives in to the people and he, he says, break off your golden earrings, which are in your ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron and received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And he, he made a molten calf. So he, he constructed a, a calf out of this, out of gold. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Is that the God that brought them up out of the land of Egypt? No. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Now, this wasn't to the true and living God. This was to an idol, to a statue, to something that was non-existent. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. It's kind of contradictory. How can you have a feast to the Lord and have an idol in front of you? I don't, I don't really understand that. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 7, this is important. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down, for thy people, which thou brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Hey, you need to go right now. And I know I'm giving you the Ten Commandments, and I know we're commuting and talking, but you need to go because your people need leadership. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it. They have fallen down and worshipped it. And have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto, the, unto Moses, this is important, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. What he's saying is that this people, 
is stiff-necked. They, they are only concerned with what they are concerned with. They want to do what they want to do and not what I want them to do. And this continues. Moses comes down from the mountain and, you know, he's not happy about it, right? He ends up destroying it and, and he was just in, in a rage and, and there's something important about that. And that's, that's really another message for another day. But the people are, are around dancing and, and worshiping this idol and that's not what they're supposed to be doing. And, and when you read farther down, Moses was again very angry, very frustrated, had a righteous anger and indignation within him and, and he, he tried to correct this matter. He ended up breaking down the statue and, and grounding it into powder and actually making the people drink of it. Can you imagine that? He just put it back to him. Hey, you drink this. But then verse number 26, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? That's a great question. Let him come unto me and all the sons of Levi, the Levites who are the priests of the land. They came to Moses and realized that they should have maybe stopped this. They didn't stop it. They came unto Moses and he said unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, put every man his sword by his side. Hey, get a sword and I want you to go out in from the gate and gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Verse 28, and the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell of the people that day about how many? 3,000 men. 3,000 people lost their lives because they lived in disobedience to God, because they did what they wanted to do. But then look over to chapter 33, and this is really the meat of the message this morning. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, go up hence, thou and the people, which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, and the land which I swear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's stop right there. Now, when you read those two and a half verses, that sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? God is going to send an angel with them to drive out the enemy. That seems, man, that, that is awesome. But let's continue reading. For I will not go up in the midst of thee. And that's important. Now, when you read it at first, those first two and a half verses, like, man, this is great. God is going to send an angel and he's going to drive out all the enemy. But what does God say? You're going to go, but I'm not going to be with you. Did you hear that? You're going to go, but I'm not going to be with you. You know, a church full of people is great, but a church full of people is powerless without the presence of the Lord. And really, what we'll talk about this more as the message continues, I wouldn't want a deal like this. I wouldn't want a deal where I have an angel of the Lord, a creation of God going with me and before me, but not having God. But how many times do we settle? Well, that's okay. I, at least, you know, it's going to help me drive out the enemy. It's going to help me be successful in my life. But you don't have God with you. You don't have his presence with you. Now, think about this. The Lord was grieved. He was angered. He tells Moses he's not going to be in their midst. And that's a very frightening thought. 
to have success, possessions, protections, but not have the presence of the Lord? Wow. They're going to be protected from their enemies. That sounds great, but that's meaningless if the presence of God is not there. Fortunately for Israel, they had a leader that wasn't content with settling. They had a leader that said, in a sense, no deal. I want you to understand this very important principle. When you have God's presence, you need nothing more and should settle for nothing less. I've already said that before, but it's true. When you have God's presence, you need nothing more and you should settle for nothing less. Why can't people understand their constant need for the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives? God has had to remind me countless times in my life of my need for him, of my need for my Savior, of my need for the Holy Spirit. He has had to remind me that I thought I was close to the Holy Spirit. I thought I was close to God. I thought I was close to Jesus, but I realized just how far away I was. And he had to allow circumstances in my life, things that I didn't like, things that were wrong that happened to me, to help me realize how much more I needed God. It happened two years ago with some things that took place in the church. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing for God, but God reminded me, even in the attacks, that I needed God even more than I thought I needed him. And that's the truth, church. No matter what is going on in your life, you need God more than you think you need him. Well, I have God, that's enough. No, it's not enough. Maybe you have his protection because you're a Christian. But if you don't have his presence, what good is it? Verse number four. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments. They were, they were sad. Because the verse three, I, I forgot to finish it. For I will not go up with thee in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. I just want to consume you and get rid of you. People heard that. They didn't like that. So the question again this morning is this. Is God real to you? Is the presence of God real to you? I'm talking about the Shekinah glory of God. When you study that phrase, the Shekinah glory, it's an amazing thing. We don't have time to to deep or dwell into that deeply today. Another message for another time. But the Shekinah glory is that visible manifestation of the presence of God. Whenever the invisible God became visible, whenever the omnipresence of of God is localized, That's the Shekinah glory. It comes from the Hebrew word Shekinah, which means to dwell. The Shekinah was first evident when Israel set out from Succoth and they escaped from Egypt. There the Lord appeared to them in a cloudy pillar of day and a fiery pillar by night. When they left Succoth, they camped out in Etham. It was here where the pillar of cloud guided the Israelites by day and by fire by night. God's presence was very real in the Israelites' life. But is God's presence real in your life? Is God's presence real to you? Is God real to you? Church, we need men and women that are filled with God's presence today. Not men and women that are here taking up a seat. If you're just here taking up a pew, and I'm not trying to be mean, I know it's probably going to come across that way, there's the door. Why would a pastor say that? Because I'm not concerned with people just sitting and being stiff-necked and being more concerned about their agenda than God's agenda. I'm more concerned with God's presence being here. I'm more concerned with the Holy Spirit being here. And here's the truth. I have seen God's presence here. I have seen God's power here. I have seen God work mightily. I have seen God move mountains that I didn't think could be moved. 
But so often we get hung up on things that we shouldn't get hung up on. And we get sidetracked and focused on things of ourselves instead of our God. We're more concerned with ourselves than we are with his presence. And I know I'm getting more worked up and I know I'm going to get a bad headache today, but that's okay. I don't care because I'm more concerned with God's presence being here. I'm more concerned with his presence being felt in your life and my life. Is God real to you, church? D.L. Moody once said, I believe many a man is praying for God to fill him up when he is already full of something else. That's a powerful thought. When we sing a song or chorus, when the musicians of the choir stands before us to sing, is our heart truly filled with the presence of God or are we filled with something else? Something that we don't like. I don't like that song. I'm not going to sing it. Is God real to you? It's time we get rid of our preferences. It's time we lay aside our preferences. You know what, to be honest with you, there's a lot of preferences that I have that I cannot do. And it's not because the, the trustees are forcing me not to do them. It's because God says, I don't want you to do that. Because it's not about you. It's about what I want. And there's a lot of things that we do in this church that I'm saying, God, I don't want to do that. And he says, I don't care. I'm in charge. You do it. Okay, whatever. I know people always question leadership no matter what it is. One day I'm actually really going to get passionate in my preaching, so watch out, okay? <laughs> but one of the things that God has reminded me lately, and even in the hospitals, that my passion for God must be renewed daily. You know, 2018 was a phenomenal year for our church. But I feel like some people in here have just tried to like ride the, the waves of 2018 and 2019. That doesn't work. Your passion for God isn't just a one-time thing. Well, I was passionate about God when I came here and excited about God. And I, I remember meeting with many of you that were excited and passionate for growth and had a desire for God. And I've seen circumstances happen in the past six, seven, eight months in your life. And I've seen that passion waver. I've seen that desire for growth waver. And all it's showing me is that God is not real to you. That your circumstances are more real than God is. Look, I can't expect to coast off my passion for God. My passion must be as real today as it was yesterday. It must be as real in the battles as it is in the triumphs. Again, this church should be filled with the presence of God. And I felt the presence of God even this morning. But I know there are some that are struggling with that. There are some that are here that are struggling with that. There are some that are not here that are struggling with that. But are you truly here to worship God? Or are you here for another reason? Because if you're here for another reason, again, there's the door. And there's a lot of other churches that'll help you. But this church is going to help you find the presence of God. This church is going to help grow you. Because we're going to follow God's leadership, not some man's leadership. We're going to do what God wants us to do, not what some man wants us to do. You understand that? Look, worship is about enjoying God's presence. You need nothing more. You should settle for nothing less. What's going to make our church stand out from other churches? Is it our powerful student ministry or music ministry or whatever ministry we have? Sunday nights on the lawn? No. What's going to make our church stand out from other churches is God's presence. The Holy Spirit abiding with us. You saying it doesn't abide in other churches? No, I'm not saying that at all. 
But what's going to make this congregation stand out is God being real to you individually. Because then when you go out, people are going to see that. They're going to take notice of that. There's something different about them. It's like almost, in a sense, like something is shining from them. It's what, what is going on? What, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with me is I have Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit in my life. He is real to me. You know, I can't expect to thrive in my own Christian life and walk with God if I don't allow God to renew me day by day. That's been the theme for our years, to thrive. Some people don't feel like it's a thriving year. I think it is. It's not always the way that we intended it. I want to give you quickly a couple principles of why people don't thrive and then make a very important application at the end. Here's why people don't thrive today. It's back in chapter 32. First of all, there's a direct disobedience. Look back to verse number seven of chapter 32. And the Lord said to Moses, get thee down. Why did he have to get down? Because he saw that the people had corrupted themselves. They had turned aside from following God. And what were they doing? They were following some idol. There was a direct disobedience in the Israelites' life. You know what the problem with many Christians today? They've walked down the aisle. They've trusted Christ as their Savior. They've been baptized. They know the doctrines of the church, but they don't have the presence of God. Most people know what to do. They know what to say. They know what's right and wrong. They know what's wrong coming to church in a service and unloading on people or coming in with a bad attitude, coming in with their preconceived notions of what they think is best. They know that's wrong. But how can God's presence truly fill the entire place if there is a direct disobedience for God and his word? Look, if I'm doing something that is unbiblical, you can call me out on that. But if I'm doing something that you just don't like because it's not against your preference, then that is wrong. Israel, they got someone else on their side. Oh, Moses is gone, obviously, so let's get someone else. Let's get Aaron and come over, Aaron. Why don't you build us a calf? Let's, let's build something to worship down. He should have known better, but okay. Let's get all the earrings. Let's get everything together. Let's, let's bow down. Let's, let's worship this. That's a direct disobedience because God also said when, when he gave the commandments, and the Israelites should have already known this, but thou shalt have no other gods before me. Worship me and worship me alone. But we continue, why don't people thrive today? Because first, there's a direct disobedience. Secondly, there is a divided devotion. Is God real to you? What happened with Israel? This is important. They ceased being Israel. The name Israel signifies God's chosen people. You know what it means? It means may God prevail. Well, how can God prevail when we're worshiping other things? How can God prevail in your life when we don't give full devotion to him? Israel wasn't in a thriving place right here because there was direct disobedience to God's commands, to God's laws. I don't like that law. Well, did you make it? No. Did God make it? Yes. Then follow it. There's a divided devotion. How can you have a worship service for the Lord and have a cow that you're going to bow down to at the same time? Does that work? No, it doesn't. A third thing. Why don't people thrive today? Because there's a direct disobedience for God, his word. There's a divided devotion because they want what they want. And it doesn't really matter what God wants. They're going to do what they want despite God. That's divided. But third, there is a determined defiance. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. How many times has God told you to do something and you're like, like that little kid? Nope. 
Don't you love it when your kids do that? Again, my sarcastic nature comes out. I love it when Nate does that to me. No, Dad. Okay, son, I'll give you whatever you want. No, I'm not. We don't like that. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing when it comes to God because God is leading maybe in the, in the pastor and the leadership or in the preaching. And I'm not going to do that. My message is obviously for someone else. And I've got 15 other people that I think it's for. I hope they're listening right now. How many times, though, has God told you to do something and you said no? How many Christians are hard-headed, stiff-necked? You know, we've talked a lot about being stretched here this year. But how many Christians even, that, that's been a tough thing for me. How many Christians are even willing to allow God to stretch them? Where it's like, nope, I'm done with that. God might be saying, I want you to do this ministry. I want you to serve in this area. <laughs> no. It's not what I'm passionate about. Why don't you just get passionate about Jesus? Determined defiance. Divided devotion. Direct disobedience. So here's the application today. This is why God said, okay, I'll give you the lamb. I'll give you an angel, but I won't go in your midst. But fortunately for Israel, there was a man that said no deal. He said, God, I don't want just your protection. I want all of you. Look, Moses wanted God's glory to be revealed to him. He wanted to worship God. What does worship mean to you? Worship is really worth-ship. It's declaring God's worth. Worship is not just a weekly pep talk. It's not me just getting up here and, and talking for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or preaching or yelling every once in a while. That's not worship. It's not a motivational speech. It's not the Christian alternative to some rock concert. It's not some Beethoven symphony. Worship occurs when people encounter the God who loves them and desires a relationship with them. Robert Weber in his book, Worship Old and New, says it succinctly when he says this. Worship is nothing, sorry, worship is a meeting between God and his people. Look, worship does not lead to an encounter with God. Worship is an encounter with God. We sing songs and we're like, oh, that's the worship service. No, that's, that's helping in worship. That's aiding in worship. But worship is more than a song. It's more than a prayer. It's more than coming to church and giving your money all things that you should do. Moses was not okay with settling. He desired God. He desired all of God, not just some of God. He didn't want just God on the weekends and then every other day he can live however he wanted. Turn quickly to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we're almost done. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 5 this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. There's a lot of people, and I've been guilty of this in my life, that have a form of godliness. Man, that's a, that's a spiritual person right there. There's a lot of people that can play the part. For of this sort, there which creep into the houses... And leave captive silly women laden with sins, led away the divers lust, ever learning and ever able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all of them. There's a lot of people that have a form of godliness.
What's wrong with Christians today? It's the same thing that was wrong in the time of Moses and the Israelites. So many people have seen God's works manifested in their lives. They've seen God do amazing things in their lives, their friends' life, their family life, their church. But it's not enough. And here's what it boils down to. So many people have seen God's works, but they do not know God's ways. When the works of God pleased Israel, get this, it's not in your notes, but get this. When the works of God pleased Israel, they praised him. I guess it is, sorry. When the works of God pleased Israel, they praised him. When the works of God didn't please Israel, you know what they did? They murmured against him. It's true in our lives. When the works of God please us, we're going to praise him. When, they, when it goes in our favor, we're going to praise God. But when it doesn't go in our favor the way that we think, we're going to murmur against it. We're going to murmur against the pastor. We're going to murmur against the church. We're going to cause all kinds of disputes and rumblings and, and disagreements because, nah, I don't like that. You know what this issue is? It's always about the heart. I said this earlier in January, but the best you and the worst you is a product of the inner you. It's a product of your heart. What happens when we come into God's presence? What happens when we know God and have a passion for him? Next week, we're going to look at the very important message of what happens when God comes down. It's an amazing thought. But let me ask it this way. What is needed for worship? Quickly, two principles. What is needed for worship? Exodus chapter 33. Let's turn back there. Let me turn back there quickly. Exodus chapter 33, verse number 13. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight and consider this nation thy people. The first thing that is needed in worship is this, a hunger for God. Do you have a hunger for God? A true hunger for God outside of just Sunday morning? I mean, are you literally trying to spend time with God on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays? Are you truly trying to spend time with God? Do you have a hunger for, with God or for God or is your hunger for everything else? Is your hunger trying to fulfill your lust, trying to fulfill what you're trying to advance in your kingdom or about his kingdom? Here's what Moses is asking God. Show me now thy way that I may know thee. Moses wants to know God in a more intimate way. Do you have that same desire? Same way you hunger for certain foods, do you hunger for God? Hunger is a God-given thing which indicates a need for substance. Hunger will not go away unless the drive is satisfied. And all of us within us is a God-shaped vacuum. There should be a hunger for God, but are we pushing it away? Or are we allowing God to satisfy us? Do you realize that you can experience God's grace without experiencing his presence? You can have an understanding for what Jesus did, how he died for your sins, and not have an intimate relationship with God. I've seen it firsthand. What a shame to be saved, but never truly understand what an abundant, Christian, thriving, flourishing life is all about. You know, when we started these discipleship classes really a couple years ago, we've done different things along the way. They were given to help promote a hunger for God. Some people come, some people don't. Some people come and still don't really have a hunger. Well, it's time to look inward. We're giving what you need. Second thing, and I close with this. What is needed in worship? First of all, there must be a hunger for God. When you come to church, is there a true hunger for God? 
Second thing, verse number 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. This passage is great, and I'll read it more later another time. But there must be an encounter with God. You know what Moses is doing here? He's pleading with God to reveal, to show him his glory. God, I want this. I want all of you. God, I need to be renewed day by day. I need your stream in the desert. I need your presence in my life. How often do we pray this prayer? God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Or is it, Lord, thank you for this meal. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I really need some more money this week. Lord, I really need to take care of my enemies. Lord, I need a better job. Lord, I need you to heal me. I need this sickness to go away. I need this cancer to go away. I need these problems to go away. I need all this stuff to go away. Please take care of this mess. Or is our prayer, God, I want to know you. I want to have an encounter with you. God, show me your glory. That's what Moses is saying here. And it's an amazing passage. Read it later. God, I want your glory. I want all of you. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod, which means God's honor, renown, majesty, weight, visible splendor. Moses wanted a visible encounter with God. He wanted God's presence. He wasn't content with settling. When you come to church, do you ever get just tired of going through the motions? I do. Do you ever get tired of showing up Sunday after Sunday and feel like you're not having your soul stirred? Oh, pastor needs to do a better job of preaching. Probably does. But if you want God to show up, then you have to allow him to show up. And you have to seek a close personal encounter with God. When you know God, when God is real to you, he's your serenity, your stability, and your sufficiency. Is God real to you this morning, church? If not, maybe you don't know them the way you think you know them. Then maybe it's time to renew, to refresh. Well, I already renewed last year. Renewal is not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. And really, almost every time a sermon is preached, these altars should be flooded. The message might not even be applicable, maybe necessarily where you're at in your life at that time, but it should be, God, I want your glory. God, I want to see your face. God, if there is some sin in my life that needs to be confessed, show it to me. If there's pride in my life that needs to be getting rid of, show it to me, God. God, I, I want your glory. I'm not consent, or I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't want to settle just for your protection, for sending someone before me, but not being with me. God, I want all of you. Church, we need all of God, not just some of God. Is God real to you? If not, it's time to renew. It's time for revival. It's time to see God's glory and come into his presence. You cannot thrive if God is not real to you. So is he real to you?